from the back straight to the sand pit and everything in between. Get ready, get set for the Field and Track Podcast. Ah! Former World Indoor 800 metre champion, Tamsin Manu. And Olympic long jump finalist, David Colbert. Hello everyone and welcome to episode four of the Field and Track Podcast from the back straight to the sand pit and everything in between. It is episode four, and I'm happy to report that we've got listeners in 15 countries, from the US to the UK, Sweden, the Maldives, and even Iceland. So, go down, Doug, <laughs> Icelanders. That means hello to all of you Icelanders. I'm David Colbert, and welcome to my fellow field and track traveller, the 793-time and only one-time world indoor champion, Tamsin Manu. Hi, I've got hello, nothing Tamsin. for you in Icelandic. I'm very sorry. I'll work on it for next week. Oh, nothing either. Mm-mm. German? Guten Tag, Guten Abend, Guten Morgen, (laughs) Ni Hao, I don't think we've got any Chinese listeners, Konnichiwa, Konnichiwa I can do, we'll get to Japan, bit going on there, happy 150 days to go by the way, we do record this on a Tuesday night, so it is 150 days to go to the Tokyo Olympics, if they're held, please let them be held, which we'll get to a little bit later, but first of all, we have to deal with with something that happened after last week's show because we post the show on the Athletes Australia Facebook forum as well as many other platforms. People weigh in with their um, commentary and debate and then (laughs) it was all happening. Because it was Tamsin versus Rick Mitchell. It was an Olympic silver medalist versus the world indoor champion. And it was all about Rowan Browning having to run from lane eight and seriously, I went through 18 packs of popcorn while this war, this spat, this fight, this social media tay was going on. Now, clearly, the Mitchells and the Lewises are like the Hatfields <laughs> and the McCoys. There's a bit of history going on. I well, there is a What's bit of history, and it's quite funny because um, Rick obviously used to run around the same sort of era, just the era after my dad. Um, I think they crossed over at dad's back end. So I've known Rick for a very long time. But I didn't like how he said that you could run fast from any lane. I, I agree with him that that is true, but that wasn't the issue that we were trying to get across. We were trying to get across that to get our guys qualified, we need to do everything that we can to support them. Now, Rick is a silver medalist and he is purely elitist with his thinking and he comes at it thinking that everyone is going to win an Olympic medal or could win an Olympic medal like him. But I look at it a little bit differently is in the terms of while we're running domestically, let's do all we can for our athletes because it's hard, but harder being Australian, I believe, um, and let's support them and try and do everything we can to help them get these really tough Olympic standards. So we did have a little bit of banter. <laughs> So the fight was going on, and um, to be honest, I thought you you um, you both made some good points. Uh, I have to say, when you claim that his Olympic medal was a bit soft because there were no, he wasn't running against the Americans like Darren Clark was. I thought you went a little too far. I was trying. No, no, he said that far. he was the last person to have the track medal and it for Australia in the Olympics, um, and he's right, but. I was just trying to make the point that if the Americans weren't there when Darren Clark was running, then he'd have a medal as well. I'm not suggesting that he wouldn't have beaten the Americans. I'm just saying that if 
others had similar conditions, then maybe we wouldn't have to wouldn't be waiting for forty years. But there's other things that come into it, and I don't think Rick was an you know Rick was an exceptional athlete. I don't think you can just look at how good he was and then just portray how good he was onto everybody else and hope that they're going to win an Olympic medal like he did. Some people, their Olympic medal is anyway, making the team and doing their and best there. Mm. Anyway, it was entertaining, and that's part of the, uh, what I like about that Athlete Australia Facebook page because um, everyone gets to have a bit of banter about something that we enjoy. Let's yep. talk about the Sydney Track Classic, Tamsin, before you get yourself <laughs> into more trouble. Um, there were some really good races. The, the, the two pick of them for me were the men's 800 and the women's 1500, um, aside from the, the good field events we'll get mm-hmm. to. what were, You were there. What were your overall? I was, by the way... Um, Still recovering from my terrible loss in the A-grade handicap club championships where I put on an absolute stink show. I was terrible. So I wasn't in the best of moods. But anyway, um, you know, we'll live and die. We've only got to wait 12 months. I can't believe you brought it up. I'd lose my funding if I was if I was on NAS. I'd lose my funding, no doubt about that. Um, um, well, what were your overall impressions of the? I was Sydney disappointed track again with the crowd. I'm not going to lie. I I feel that it's it's hard for the athletes to come out there and to be trying to perform their best in an Olympic year when there isn't a lot of people there to watch. And it was there was a lot of remarks made about how the crowd has dropped in the years, um, but on the track. And in the field, there were some amazing, amazing performances. And I agree that the men's 800 was just a fantastic battle. And it was one of those things where Peter Boll went out super fast, went with the pacemaker, made the break down the back straight. And it was really, really good to see his training partner, Joe Deng, fighting home strongly to just fall, um, finish behind Peter Boll on his birthday, turned 26, um, and to I feel like that was a real confidence booster for him that he needed um, and it means that those two moving forwards through the European season and towards the Olympics hopefully will push closer to that Aussie record and break it again. Um, and, and that women's 1500 was an absolute cracker. Those three ladies out the front were, were just brilliant and um, Lyndon Hall to take that win when she looked like she was absolutely gone with 120 metres to go. It just goes to show you can never write off the Australian record holder and she fought really hard to get Jenny Blundell on the line and Georgia Griffiths deserves a mention for the way that she took it to them with 200 metres to go. So just outside the Olympic standard with their 405s, can I just go back a step? Jack Lund, third in the um, 800, the youngster, 147.42, and he finished so strongly. That was the thing that I was impressed with because, you know, as you know, Tamsin, um, it's not an easy thing to run strongly over the last 100 metres in an 800. And, Didn't he? Um, and he's he just hard. a great story. He only runs 30 kilometres a week, so he's not doing a whole heap of training compared to other kids his age, and I think he's definitely one to watch. He's a talented athlete. He has ability over high jump and uh, in other events, but um, let's hope he sticks with the 800 for a bit long because that was truly exciting. And he was the kid in Melbourne Track Classic who took it to the seniors. He's not afraid to have a real go and I like that about him you need to have that ability as an 800 runner just a little bit of tough about you and he was just fantastic and there were other juniors that were brilliant too um, Mia Gross won the women's 100 um, in a world junior qualifier and Ellie Beer in the 400 managed to get under that world junior qualifier as well finishing third yeah and um, just to go back to Hawks I wanted to mention yep. her specifically I, I thought her fight Wasn't was it? just tremendous the way she didn't give up in the She looked gone. She was, as you say, she was four or five metres behind with 120 metres to go. She looked gone with 80 metres to go, but she just kept on fighting on. And, you know, that's what you need to get 
you know, from one round to the next in a major championship. It's what you need, as you say, to break the Australian record. I thought it was a it was a great run, four oh five sixteen. If if you show that sort of fight in a race where the pace is on in Europe that's set up to run sub four minutes, then well, we've got four minutes. girls who are very capable, and that's before we see some of the other athletes that have run fifteen hundred well, um, like Heidi C. We haven't seen her run yet. So um, uh, Chloe Ty, the national champ from last year, we haven't seen her either. So we've we've got a real crop of fifteen hundred runners. Can we see this year with Jess Hull, who's over the overseas um, training? Can we see an Aussie girl drop under the four minute barrier? I'm going yes. I think we can. So um, let's wait and see. I tell you what was uh, was also impressive. Your man Chris Douglas ran a personal best fifty point oh two or oh five. I think oh two. No, you're right. Oh two. Eighteenth um, fastest. Yeah, 02, 15th fastest Australian all time, and um, a couple of other PBs as well, uh, including in the field events. The performance of the night, um, from a world perspective, no doubt Brandon Stark with his 230, which is his equal best jump for 18 months, according to Tarby and his Tarby stats, and the best jump in Sydney for five years. Um, so I thought that was um, a well, good Well, Stark jumped 230, Stark. which is exactly the same that he jumped at the World Championships to finish sixth. So um, he's just a fantastic competitor, Stark. And what I like to see with him, last year he wasn't out even competing at this time of year because he had an injury, but he looks really ready to go. He looked great in Canberra. He looked fantastic at that attempt at 2.30. And he had a couple of good attempts at 2.33, which is the Olympic qualifier. But I spoke to him after his comp. I think he's pretty safe because he's ranked, I think, in the top three or four in the world. So I think he's going to be fine even if he doesn't do that standard because it's a tough standard, 2.33. But um, he still wants it, which I like about him. And we talked about um, that high jump competition with him um, in Doha, which was probably one of the most amazing nights of track and field. I know you were there, Dave, in history. It was just a fantastic night. I was sitting next to a bunch of sheiks <laughs> and um, when Bashim, yes. who looked gone, he was had a shocking season. And he 237, 237. I mean, the, the crowd yeah. just went absolutely exactly. berserk. But what I liked about speaking to Stark after it was yeah. he's completely um, respectful of what Bashim was able to do that night, but he still spoke about the way he believes that he's beatable and he can go to those Olympics and take him down. And I love that fighting talk. And I think that leading into the Olympics, here's a real chance, not only a medal, but being on top of that podium. Speaking of that, I sat just behind Matt Denny that night and he ate all my hamburgers and chips, so I was very un- uh, upset with him. He had a good throw, 64-23. But the highlight on the field in terms of the throws yes. was Alex Hulley in the hammer throw, um, 70-55, uh, nearly a two-metre PB. Uh, so it's the third Australian to throw over 70 metres and she beat the um, excellent American, the world number three from 2019, Gwen Berry from the US. So... That was a yes, big and she, I'm so glad you mentioned her because she is the athlete that I want to profile. This, yes. Oh, okay. I don't have a sting for this, but I'm just going to do it anyway. Tamsin, well, her name is Alexandra Hulley, but she prefers Alex. She was born 24th of July 1997, which makes her 22 years of age. She won the silver medal at the Commonwealth Games in the hammer throw at 20 on her senior debut. Um, at the Youth Olympics in 2014 in Nanjing, she got the silver with 68 metres 35 and she told me that she it still blows her mind that throwing that far you still can get the same distance as the winner but she lost on a count back. Um, she got into hammer. Uh, she was throwing discus as a Year 7 student at an athletics carnival just for fun and one of the officials saw how bad she was and but noticed that she had hammer potential. It was Bree Clement who is still her coach 10 years later. Now, 
Alex had no idea what hammer throw was. And so she didn't do little aths because her mum never wanted her to be out in the sun because of her red hair and fair skin combination. So they went home, the parents and her looked it up on YouTube and thought, yeah, that looks pretty cool. We'll give it a go. Um, She has super bad eyesight. So contacts don't work when she's uh, spinning in the circle. So she, uh, but she refuses to wear glasses while she throws. So while she's out there, Dave, she cannot see much but she gets the job done. She's studying. So she doesn't wear contacts. No, she, she doesn't. Or she does. She, she doesn't because they, no. So she says so she while she's nothing. out there, she can't see. Is she eligible for, and I'm not, I'm not being flippant here, but is she valid? Um, I don't know. We can ask her how bad her eyesight is, but she's doing okay. Because the thing that amazes me with hammer throw discus is that gap between is so small when you see it in real life to get, the, I mean, oh, that's the thing that shocked me. As soon as I've made an international team, it's the thing that has shocked me every time. When you stand behind that cage, how small that gap is to get the implements out. Yep. Yep. And Mind she's doing it without great eyesight. Studying that's occupational excellent. therapy and um, she coaches at a little ass club, which is the Ponds Little Ass. She dates Ned Weatherly, who won the hammer throw in the Melbourne Track Classic, and she's got... You always come up with these. Th- this I know, but I love that stuff. Your, I've got one more thing. She's got two tattoos which motivate her. Um, she sees them before every throw. Keep it simple as written on her wrist so she keeps calm in the circle and doesn't overthink things. And more recently, she got angel wings on her forearm for each of her granddads who passed away within a couple of months of each other last year, and she gained strength knowing that they are with her through everything she faces. All right. Well, that is magnificent. I'll tell you what, we're all with her because two metres short of the Olympic qualifier and 57 metres, 57 centimetres short of the Australian record. So let's keep our fingers crossed that that can happen. Just um, to wrap up a couple of other results, Eleanor um, Patterson and Nicola McDermott continued their great form. They jumped 194, but they put the bar up to 197 to try and then get another yep. shot at 199, the Australian record. They didn't get there, but they've got a great level Brilliant. of consistency. So they were some of the um, strong performances and parallel Olympic qualifiers to um, Dion Kenzie, um, James Turner, and, and Jared Clifford in their respective events of fifteen hundred meters and the hundreds in the um, yeah. B qualifier for James Turner, Turner in the hundreds. So that was good. Mm-hmm. Can I just say, Tanzan, um, you know, you rely on information. Len Johnson wrote a, a great wrap of the event to the IWF website, Tarby stats, etc. The Athletics Australia mm-hmm. release on this meet didn't mention the men's or women's high jump, didn't mention the women's fifteen hundred, didn't mention Alex Hulley. Didn't mention Matt Denny. Didn't mention Brooke Stratton. Didn't mention Chris Douglas. What did they mention? The only events it mentioned were the men's 800, the junior performances, which were great, from Mia Gross and Ali Beer. That is it. That was the wrap-up from the Sydney Track Classic, Mm -hmm. the World Tour Silver Meeting. Yeah, well, no, that's that's definitely... That is just an the absolute. Ath- the athletes definitely deserve to have a write up after Sydney Track Classic because there was some phenomenal um, performance. Here are some of the names that they didn't mention Stark, Patterson, McDermott, the 1500 metre runners, Hall, Blundell, Griffith, Denny, Hulley. Yeah, these mm. are the Stratton. These are the stars of Australian athletics. Why wouldn't they? Well, weren't worthy of getting a mention in the official record of the event. Well, you work in marketing and PR, well, you have. Um, (laughs) Tell me why. Mark Arbid told me the crowd was three times bigger than it had been in in any meet for the last three years. He's deluded. He's tricking himself. And if he believes whoever he's telling him, then he's sillier than 
I give him because he's not silly. He's not a silly person. Mm. Anyway, let's move on because it, it just yeah. it makes me upset, like it did on Saturday night when I got a text message from the producer of ABC Grandstand, exasperated because no one from Athletics Australia would get back to him and he wanted to have someone on the show the next Okay, that's time. disappointing. That's definitely disappointing. New Zealand, the Sir Graham Douglas International. Curiously, Tamsin, why were these two things on day after day, given that they are both part of the world tour and both get world ranking points and are both in this part yes. of the world? I know there was basically mm-hmm. alternate programs, so there was one program and the other, but some athletes might want to run a 100 or 200 or... Yeah. Well, I think that the point system can work in our favour in the future, but it's not if they're going to do this because we don't have enough stars split between New Zealand and Australia to be doing something like this. So the sprints in Sydney Track Classic were really flat for us. The men's 200 and the women's 100 didn't have our big stars in it. So that's because they went to Auckland to compete. Um, and so what we're seeing is a filtered down program in certain events, but we just can't afford to do that. So hopefully next year they learn from the mistake of having two on the same weekend and they fix that but um they're a bit unlucky with the wind there they had a massive tar when they did run down the back straight and uh, um, jack hale like he, he broke he broke that was camera, break. so that was um, yep. you know his fault but he, he got seriously dudded in new zealand the guy next to him flinched mm-hmm. um twitched jerked yep. whatever and jack came out and got disqualified he did run under protest he did win the race in the end it was windy anyway but he needs those points um, he needs those points and he ran beautifully and i don't understand how the apparently he went um to put in the protest and to show them the slowed down footage of the flinch next to him and him um reacting to it they wouldn't look at his um version of it. They said they've got the stream, they've looked at it, that's enough. But that's just not on. If an athlete wants to protest, the people who are making the decision should at least have to listen to the athlete's explanation of what had happened. And I think that if that's the case that they're going to um, throw out that, I think it's disgraceful. If an athlete is so primed and a good starter and ready to go, somebody reacting next to them like that is going to set them off. And I do not like the fact that they wouldn't look at it. And it reeks of, you know, you could even take it further and go, okay, well, then Eddie takes those points and he's from New Zealand. It doesn't look good on New Zealand athletics um, for doing that. Oh, what are you thinking? That no, I don't, but I'm just saying you could take it that one step further and I'm you not sure? happy about it because I just sure? don't think that it was fair. Like I really think if you watch that footage back, there was a definite movement next to him and he just reacted to it. So, yeah, I yeah, don't like it. it. No doubt about that. Um, it's a good jump from Nina Kennedy. She In that win. Um, 50, my man Jeremy Andrews had another win, 788 in the long jump. Um, the Huff Daddy, Nick Huff, Chasing, you know, he, he does go well with a tailwind. Yeah, I think it was 4. over 1. four metres per second he had. Um, I've, 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 had, I've sat him down before the Huff Daddy and I've had a long explanation with him. Um, Linford Christie, you might remember, our younger members of uh, the listening audience here would not necessarily remember Linford, the 1992 uh, mm-hmm. Olympic champion. He had a very simple philosophy on starting Tamsin. You go on the feet <laughs> of the <laughs> Yes. Right, bang, <laughs> B. Nick Huff goes on the G. Oh okay. Come on, Huff Daddy, get out of the blocks and get over those barriers for the first yes. He storms home, but he is further behind. Yes. He is a in, long way behind. You do realise he's changed his approach to the start and he is doing seven strides in. 
Well, yeah, I watched it quite a few times over. He's doing seven strides into that first hurdle and it means that he really bounds rather than does the short, sharp, quick to the first hill. And he believes that by doing that, this is what I've heard, he believes that doing that um, he finishes stronger. But if he re-watches that, he was so far down. And you can do that in a field that he was against and come over the top, but you can't do that against a world-class field. So I think he's going to have to rethink um, that process, whether he keeps with the seven strides but just improves <laughs> and goes on the B of the bang. But um, so, so there you go, Nick. There's some advice from an 800-meter <laughs> and a long jumper on how to hurdle. Okay. Yeah, just do your own thing. You're doing all right, um, Nick. So- Tell you what, I liked um, Cameron McIntyre and Hamish Peacock, 78.63 and 77.58 for 1-2 in the jab. And Riley Day, your last week, tell us more, Jacinta Beecher and Nana Owusu Afrei. Yeah. <laughs> um, 1-2-3 in the women's 200. So that was probably the highlights yep. from um, New Zealand. Other than Big Tom Walsh, who we do like and we cheer for him when he's in the shot put circle, he threw 21.66 to beat our man Damien Birkenhead in the. Yeah, uh, and Luke, yeah, well, Luke Young let's, let's got get... a world junior qualifier in the 1500 and Keely Small got a one in the 800. Okay. All right, good. Thank you. She was she in the A race over in New skill. Zealand. So, yeah, it was, she so definitely yeah, made sure she was. It. So, she yeah. can get in the A race in New Zealand, mm. can't get in the A race in that her own That was a mistake. Go figure. International news, um, Tams, and I want to talk about the coronavirus because you know what? Yesterday, I don't know if you watched Four Corners, there was a um, a, a doco on um, the coronavirus. I'm getting more and more fearful by the day for the Tokyo Olympic Games. The Syria are cancelling matches, the football in Korea is cancelling matches, the Moraine San Remo is uh, under threat, the cycling race, um, as the coronavirus spreads throughout Lombardy region of Italy. The IS um, training centre is closed. All this requires is 10 people in a little pod somewhere in, in a suburb of Tokyo to break out in the coronavirus, and the Olympics is under serious So what threat. do they do? Like, do you know what I mean? If that happens, if they get to the point where the Tokyo Olympics has to... Um, do you cancel it? Do you postpone it? Like, what happens there? Do you move it? You can't move an Olympic Games. It's far too hard. Like, this has been years um, preparation. You've got to feel so sorry for the Japanese organising committee, but you still have to remember that health and safety has to reign. You know, it has to come first. But but what do they do if you get to that point where it is too dangerous? I mean, hopefully it doesn't get to that point, but... Um, well, keep in mind the World Indoor I, Championships has already been you know, delayed a year, so you either move it, you delay oh, you it, or you cancel it. You can't cancel an Olympics, surely. Athletes train four years, you know, and some athletes, this is their only time they'll make an Olympic Games. Like, oh, Dave, wouldn't that just be awful? Let's just hope that they get it under control and the, the smart I, people I'm of fearful. the world, the really the real heroes of the world, find a cure for it or a vaccination for it. Yep, let's move on because time is marching on, 22 minutes and 28 seconds. And as you know, this podcast only goes for the, the length yeah. of a Bonita Willis 10,000. Mondo Duplantis, how about this for a headline, for an absolute disgrace? This was in Eurosport. Duplantis fails <laughs> to break world record. <laughs> like, spare me, please. He jumped 607. Yes. In, is it Leven? It's not Leuven. Leuven's in some. I'd else. say Leven, but that doesn't make Belgium, it right. You've heard some of my Leven pronunciation. In France. So he jumped 607 um, and he had attempts at, uh, at 3, 16, yep. uh, 619. 
but he, he failed so that's to break a failure. Isn't that just appalling? And he had mentioned the fact that he, he, I think he knew that this was going to happen because he said in one of his press conferences, I'm not going to break the world record every time. Um, but 607 is still a rip of vault and he's still winning everything that he goes in and then he moves it up to the world record height. So it's a huge, yep. um, you know, markup when he does win the competition. So. And then he went off to Clermont where he jumped 601. So his last four meets have been 617, 618, 607, and 601. Steve Hooker jumped three jumps, three Brilliant, comps in a row under six metres mm-hmm. back in the day when he was at his yep. uh, peak indoors. But that is uh, that is an extraordinary achievement. But how about this? Just when you thought Mondo Duplantis yep. was the business, I read that in the yes. US, South Dakota's mm-hmm. Chris Nielsen betted uh, Mondo's yep. collegiate record by jumping yep. 5.93 in the good old Nebraska and that makes him... tune-up meeting. Like the sort of thing <laughs> it does, doesn't it? I was but, like, uh, what is the tune-up meet in Lincoln? That makes him fourth senior US indoor list as well. So he is a name to watch. And aren't you just Staggering. viewing that there is no world indoor pole vault competition coming up? Because Lavilne yeah, and Kendricks so in the Clermont was, um, um, went 5.94, went over 5.94. So everyone's just heading into ripper mm. shape. So come on. Can I tell you three of my absolute favourites in yeah, the field? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're in action this week. Love Yulima Rojas. Yeah. How good is she? Up with my Mahumbo uh, when it comes to just magnificent uh, technicians mm-hmm. in the event. Effortlessly brilliant. So Rojas broke the world indoor record with yep. 1543. Incredibly coached by Ivan Pedroso, who um, friended her on Facebook that. once. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll, I'll friend you on Facebook the 10-time uh, world indoor-outdoor long jump champion. Yeah, I'll be your mate. And now he is the coach of Rojas, and she's every chance of breaking the outdoor world record as well Agree. as the indoor um, world record, which is very impressive. Now, I know you're going to talk about the triple jump men, surely. Well, my man, Uges Ferraris yeah. <laughs> Zango from Burkina Faso, who I tell you, I was we were sitting just behind his mm-hmm. coach, Teddy Tango, in uh, the World Championships in Doha where he got the bronze medal and Teddy was just on the edge of his seat because Uges was <laughs> jumping huge and was just hanging on for a, for a medal in a really entertaining competition. So he jumped um, 1751 in France. He jumped 1777 this year and he's just short of Teddy's world indoor record. You know, Burkina Faso never won an Olympic medal. So they've sent athletes to every summer game since 1988 and in fact, they even sent someone in 1972 under the country name of Upper Volta. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, they had no one in the pole vault, but they had someone from, they were there from Upper Volta. Um, so they've had eight different Olympics. They've never won an Olympic medal. Their best is that someone came ninth in the boxing, I think, in 2012. Well, do you know Zango is studying? Like so Bobby Barrett. Well, he's studying a PhD Zango in electrical in- engineering as well. He's a clever cookie. No. Yeah, so that is good. And Ishavaria jumped well as well this week, and he's a ripper yes. as well, the Cuban long jumper who um, has occasions. Uh, Mike Powell's world record. Um, there's a world record in the half marathon, Tamsin. Oh, yeah, look, it's just, you know when a time's too fast? Just sit there. I watched this race. At, um, it was the Raz Al Khaimah half marathon, and the way that she did it, it was 
Abibel Yeshane, and she's Ethiopian. And the way that she took down Bridget Koskai, who's the world record holder for the marathon, was just unbelievable. I did like it 38 minutes. I saw something that you don't see a lot. The Ethiopian and the Kenyan were sharing their drink bottles and having a chat, and they were flying, absolutely flying. They went through the 10K at 30 minutes 18, which is insane. Now, Ababel Yesenay finished with 64 minutes 31. Is it the shoes? Oh, like that is a ridiculously crazy time. She had her Nikes on, but it was just, it was a crazy fast time and she just looked so smooth. But she yeah. did cross the line and was absolutely spent, hit the ground in, and um, didn't get up for a little while, but it was a fantastic run and she was rewarded with a, a, a half marathon world record. She was. Now, uh, remember this name? He, he was a guy that was absolutely competing for Australia. And we're very confident that he will continue uh, to compete for Australia. Yes. Sasha Zoya. He broke the world indoor record in the 60-metre hurdles, a 17-year-old, around 734. Mm-hmm. So congratulations to um, him. Now, a bit of news overnight, Tamsin, with the Panorama yep. show in the US with another expert day on our man, um, Sir Mo. I don't have oh, a very good yep. memory, Farrah. Yeah, no, that story. He's the guy. Does this remind you of anything that might yes. be a little bit closer to home? He forgot that he got injected with a substance on multiple occasions and his doctor forgot to record that he'd been injected with this substance, which is legal. L-carnitine. And, I mean, you can't, you can apparently inject it, but you have to make sure that it's only under 50 mils and he got 13.5 mils of it. Um, he did say that he wished he hadn't had it because he thought he ran crap in the London Marathon, um, but... The thing that really gets me is how do you forget what injections that you're having? Like, I mean, you think about back to when you're competing, all the athletes listening, you know when you get an injection. Like I could count on one hand the amount of times I had an injection in the last 20 years. Um, it's just a bizarre set of circumstances that has gone down. Um, and the fact that the UKA... He remembered when he went out of the room and then he had to go back into the room. This was a 2015 USADA interview where he uh, did a U-term after going to the uh, speaking with the UK head of endurance who reminded him that um, their doctor had, in fact, stabbed him in the backside with the Mm. wherever else you get the L. Yeah, and there was four people in the room when he had it and a lot of them were high up UKA, um, you know, performance director, the medical officer, the head of endurance running. So I just don't understand why you just wouldn't come clean, especially if it was a, um, you know, it was legal. This, of course, is Mo Farah who forgot that Yama Aiden, yeah. the Ethiopian disgraced coach who was found with 19 preloaded syringes of uh, EPO at the group's training hotel, that he that he knew him. He just thought he was a, a, friend, a, a fan who he'd had a selfie with. And of course, this is also the guy Mo Farah, who remember he did the um, he, he said he was in one place when his Instagram photo showed that he was actually training with that yes. Ethiopian group. Yeah, it's a big concern. Like, I mean, I just, yeah. I, I mean, he hasn't done anything wrong in this case. You know, he's sat, he's had a substance injected into him that is a is legal, but it's one of those things where where do you draw the line at the spirit of competition? You know, like you shouldn't need to inject supplements just in terms of trying to race better i don't think i'm a big believer in just eating well and doing the hard training but i don't understand we were going to talk i agree we were going to talk about the state championships this weekend i don't have much information on them anyway so we might have to skip over that one i just wanted to mention jack Perris, who ran 47.99 mm. and as tommy Connolly thankfully pointed out to us all on facebook i love these stories this was 17 years to the day that uh, daniel batman um, yeah, Jack's dad 
ran his PB yep. in Canberra, 17 years to the day. So that's a, that was a tremendous story. What a run. I, I, yeah, Jack's a goer. I think he's going to end up playing AFL, but uh, he's a he's a ripper. A lovely boy too, a really That's nice impressive. kid. So it was a great run. Um, Joshua Atkinson was also great in second. It was a ding-dong battle down the front straight. And the future of um, the junior athletics looks really good, looks really good. There's some great athletes out there competing mm. in the youngsters. Um, we've gone for 31 minutes. Which yeah, means we have to stop. having a bad run today, <laughs> but we've got a couple of other things to talk I about. I did. You had lunch with Seb, Seb Coe, of course. Um, you know what, we were just, no, we were just you catching up because he's, he's a mate of mine and his daughter, his eldest daughter was there, Maddie, and we were just having lunch. But we did. Not we did. That. You must have discussed. Oh, of course, of course we did. Of course we did. But you know, what you have, a, you know, what you have in a private conversation, you cannot release to, to, we just Come spoke about where athletics is at in this country and, um, uh, ways that needs to be improved in terms of, um, the sport moving forward, basically. Yeah. Oh, he has heaps of ideas. He's brilliant with the ideas, but um, we don't have enough time to get through that because we're at 32 minutes, Dave. (laughs) Okay. Well, you've sidestepped that one. Let's go to this. Manu's moment. Yeah, well, mine's week. easy and I can be quick with it. It was the, it was basically the, the ladies in that 1500 meters at the Sydney Track Classic. It was such a great race. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, and that's what domestic competition is about, towing the line and then having a ding, good ding dong battle with the, the, your fellow countrymen. And I thought that those three ladies, uh, carried out that race just brilliantly in the right spirit and really fought on. You could see all three of them desperately wanted that win and they were awarded with fast times. So that was my moment. Very okay. Colbert's Conqueror. This one, for some reason, has been ignored. The Edwin Flack Award was presented. In fact, two of them were presented on Saturday night at the Sydney Track Classic. This uh, this award has been so ignored um, over the years that I discovered yesterday, Tamsin, that I was an, actually a recipient of it in 1999. <laughs> for whatever reason, this is always kept a. You were a recipient yeah, too. In, you know, in I knew. This is Athletics Australia acknowledges distinguished service to the sport by athletes through the Edwin Flack Award. It's named in the honour of the country's first Olympian and is, um, is made um, to someone who's given um, good service in across a range of different areas. There's a very long list of people that have won it. Max Bennington was the first, Rob DeCostella, Ray and Denise Boyd, Glennis Nunn, your adversary, <laughs> Mitchell. Uh, Chris Stanton, Gary Honey, as I keep going through the list, Dean Barton-Smith, Melinda Gaines, Kathy yep. Freeman, so who's who, including you and I. Um, why wouldn't you tell people that this has actually occurred? So Karen DeMarco was the 2018 recipient. They had to do two at once because they just hadn't gone around to presenting it. Karen, of course, um, competed in... Uh, what, oh, she was brilliant. Yeah, Yeah. Four Commonwealth Games. Yep. Commonwealth games. Yep. She has a lot Olympia, to do with Alex Hulley's um, career as well, which is over her. Yep, coach. And and the 2019 recipient was Sean Killer Crichton, 25-time Australian representative, 11-time national champion. He was a board member, legal advisor to Athletics Australia's selector, and now is doing unbelievable things back as a distance runner in the Masters events, setting Australian records, etc. But Tamsin, mm-hmm. they're my conquerors of the week, Karen DeMarco and Sean Crichton. Any chance 
that the National Federation might tell people about these achievements and these awards that they're doing? Well, I think Sean Crichton's one was presented at the Canberra Track Classic, but the disappointing thing at the moment is that there's not many people there to see the presentations. So there's a lot that needs to be improved, and I hope that after this season, once we get it done and dusted, that some people are held accountable and people put their hands up for things that haven't worked and we actually move forward and get it right next season. All right, so what's happening this week? We've got state champs. Yep. Um, is, there, is there New Zealand this weekend? Is there another meet in New Zealand in Wellington or is that in the future? Um, I just looked at the state champs. I know that Victoria starts this weekend because they've got a split okay. state champs. South Australia's yep. this weekend, Tasmania's this weekend, but New South Wales and Queensland aren't until the following weekend. Okay, well, we look forward to them. And I am going to the Victorian Championships and I will be watching and cheering because I, you know what, Tamsin? I think being the state champion. Oh, so do I. I agree wholeheartedly. 35 minutes. Sorry, B. Benita, <laughs> you've had a shocker. You've, you've run terribly slowly. Tamsin, thanks for your time. Hope you've enjoyed episode four of the Field and Track podcast.